Thanks, John. If you've got a Bible, please keep it open uh, at Matthew's Gospel. Um, Can I add my welcome? If you are new or visiting with us, it's great to have you here. My name's uh, Jono. Uh, As a church, it's our practice uh, to do this thing they call expository preaching, where we look at, we read a a passage of scripture, we're doing a a short series in Matthew's Gospel, um, and we spend some time uh, looking, hopefully, at what God says to us through his word. Um, so we're going to do that now, but because it's God's word, let's, let's just pause and ask him for help. Uh, let's pray. Uh, loving Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to, to sit together under your word. Lord, we want to recognise that your word uh, is powerful, that it penetrates, dividing uh, even the joints and the marrow. Uh, And we pray, Lord, that by your word and spirit, uh, you would be uh, shaping and changing us as a community for your glory. Uh, Lord God, as we we look at this section where the, the Israelites of old are on trial in some ways, as their hardness of heart is being shown up, we pray that we would have soft hearts Uh, to your word, uh, for your glory, we pray. Amen. Uh, When I was at Bible college some years ago now, uh, I hadn't previously studied at a university. Um, And so sitting in, uh, I was an electrician, and so sitting in the sort of the lecture theatre trying to take in lots and and lots of information, it it was a bit of a shock. Uh, I found it quite overwhelming, and I remember sitting there in my chair thinking, uh, have I got what it takes to get through this degree? Uh, Maybe Libby will be thinking something along those lines in not too long. Uh, It turns out, though, Libby, the university degree, or at least the one that I did, it's just an exam and an essay per subject. Uh, I didn't have to take it all in. Uh, And when I realised that, the note-taking relaxed at least just a little. But it's not an uncommon question, that one, though, is it? Have I got what it takes? Uh, Have you got what it takes? It's a question that we don't just ask in the lecture theatre or in the the classroom uh, at at school, but we, we live and breathe this question from childhood in nearly every area of life. Uh, As we look for work, have I got what it takes to get this job? As we try and progress in our uh, chosen workplace, have I got what it takes? As we try and, I don't know, start a business or something, have I got what it takes? Uh, If you've got kids as parents, have I got what it takes to look after these little ones? To train them well that they might become independent and As we face some other kind of challenge, a health difficulty, perhaps some kind of relational breakdown, have I got what it takes? You ever ask yourself that? Have I got what it takes? I don't know if you've noticed this, but our anxiety around that question, it can often just be centralised to the here and now. But the, the Bible's point of view is that this life, this little life, is just the beginning and eternity is to come. 
This afternoon, uh, you noticed as the Bible was read, perhaps, we, we have this bloke who's asking something like that question, have I got what it, what it takes? But he asks it in the context that actually really matters, in the context of eternity. We'll come back to the little children who were being brought to Jesus in verses 13 to 15 in a while. But you notice the, the man in verse 16. We read, just then a, a man came up to Jesus and he asked, here's his question, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? It's wonderful that he's come to Jesus, wouldn't you say? He's recognised at least something of Jesus' authority as Jesus is, is teaching and, and, and healing. It's a genuine question, it would seem, unlike the Pharisees from earlier on in this same chapter. And his question doesn't just concern the here and now. You know, the, the day-to-day. But it concerns where he stands before the almighty loving God who made him. His question's wrong, though. Wouldn't you say? What good thing must I do to get eternal life? He he assumes he has what it takes, perhaps. Uh, That he can do the good required to be in right relationship with God. Maybe he's the kind of person who's always had what it takes. When he reflects on that question, have I got what it takes? Absolutely. Maybe he was smart and sporty, funny, rich, we know for sure from later on. I've got what it takes. What good things must I do, Jesus? List something that I might tick it off. But in verse 17, notice Jesus helps him to reflect on his words. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. In the Bible worldview, there is one who is good. And that is God alone. The one true God. But here this man is assuming that he's got what it takes. What good must I do? Perhaps he's not just, maybe he's not being careful with his words. In any case, Jesus points him to the commandments. The Israelites of old, they were rescued from slavery in Egypt. Not to be free to do whatever they liked. They were rescued from slavery in Egypt to live in loving relationship with the Lord who had rescued them. They were a bunch of slaves living in slavery. And the Lord made them into a people. He made them his treasured possession. And God's people, as God's people, the Lord gave them his word to live by. His commandments for them to live by, instructions for life, for their good. You you want to enter life, Jesus says to this this man, I can do it. He says, well, keep the commandments. 
Follow-up question's interesting though, isn't it? Which ones, the man inquires? Now, I'm reading this. I, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, I'm not sure God wants you to pick and choose, champ. You know, what about all of them? Now, in verse 18 and 19, though, Jesus graciously, he just lists some, doesn't he? He doesn't list all of them, just some, you shall not murder. You know, the Ten Commandments, that's, you know, that's where Jesus is. Some of them, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. Now, these are These are great commandments to live by, but understood rightly, no one keeps them. The Bible's really clear that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We all miss the mark of God's standard for our lives. Back in chapter 5 of this same book, Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has has said, what's actually going on in your heart matters too. You may not have murdered someone, but you got angry with them. You may not have gone and slept with another man's wife, but you looked at her in that way. See, the commandments, they were for the good of God's people. This is the best way to live. These are God's life-giving words. But the commandments, they also showed up the sinfulness of God's people, just as they show up our sinfulness, the the hardness of our hearts. Now, this bloke, showing at least his lack of self-awareness, this young man, you notice in verse 20, uh, young men don't usually lack self-awareness, do they? Uh, Showing at the least his lack of self-awareness, He says, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus very kindly, he puts his finger on the real pressure point in verse 21. Jesus answered, we read, if if you want to be perfect, and the, the Greek word that's translated here, perfect, can also be translated as, as whole. If you want to be whole, If you want to be complete or undivided, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. This young bloke comes to Jesus. He's obviously got a felt need, doesn't he? He's lacking in in some way or, or another that he might gain life eternal. And Jesus points him to the way of wholeness, the way of completeness for him to sell his possessions and give to the poor and get on with following Jesus. This selling possessions and giving to the poor, it's not some meritorious act for this young man. What good must I do? No, it's just to cut out, to get rid of the thing that he actually worships. Money. And all that money brings. You you notice though what Jesus is doing here without explicitly saying it. He's taking this young man to the very first commandment. 
Uh, the, the, you know, the Ten Commandments, you, you can read them in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the very first one. The Lord rescues his people from slavery in Egypt to make them his people, his treasured possession. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. But this bloke worships money. And he can't let it go. So we read that devastating verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And of course, in verse 24, there's that really vivid and famous uh, illustration that Jesus uses with the camel and the, and the needle. No camel fits through the eye of a needle. No matter how big a needle might be, it's, it's an impossibility. It's a ridiculous picture. You don't push a camel through the eye of a needle. That's impossible, says Jesus. But it's even harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's even harder for the rich to have life eternal. Uh, to have money for the Jews, it, it was considered to be a blessing from God. You, you have money? Well, God must be smiling upon you. God must be pleased with you. Hence the disciples' response, I reckon, in verse 25, who then can be saved? If not this young man, upstanding, high-achieving, I've got what it takes. I'm motivated. Give me something to tick off, Jesus, and I'll tick the box. If not this young man, then who? Who then can be saved? And Jesus says, it's got to be our key verse, verse 26. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Salvation, life eternal, right relationship with the loving God who made us. Salvation for anyone is a miracle, perhaps especially for the rich. Money is the thing that gets in the way of this bloke following Jesus. Money, the thing, gets in the way of this bloke entering eternal life. What's the problem with money? Well, I reckon in the context here, it's that it can deceive us into thinking, I've got what it takes. Money gives us resources. Money can enable us. With money, we can be self-assured. With, with money, we might sit back and think, I'm a success. God must be pleased with me. And instead of entrusting ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the context of Matthew's gospel here is journeying to Jerusalem where he will suffer and die on the cross. Instead of entrusting ourselves to him, we entrust ourselves to money and the things that it can buy. It's challenging, isn't it, as, as we live in Australia, as we live in the, the wealthy West it's so easy to entrust ourselves to the dollar. Money, our saviour, whether you consider yourself to have much or, or a little. 
You know, Jesus, is, uh, Jesus said famously in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the, the other or you'll be devoted to the one and, and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You're going to have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan, he sang it, didn't he? Who are you going to serve, money or or God, the true and living God. Our three-year-old Freddie, he was watching some show on road safety. I don't know what the show was. On Jen's laptop. And as he was watching it, I was just walking past. And he stopped me. He said, Dad, Dad, these guys on the laptop, road safety, these guys are not allowed to walk on the road. But we are. <laughs> road safety. That's the application for him. I insisted he's not allowed to walk on the road unless he's holding hands with mum or dad. And we've been clear on this with him. Um, But Fred insisted, no, no, differentiating himself from those guys. Those guys are not allowed to walk on the road, but I am. It's funny, isn't it, that a a three-year-old can watch a show on road safety designed to help him be safe and he assumes it doesn't apply to him. Jesus says we cannot serve both God and money. So why do you assume that you can? Hugh Martin said, if a man's religion does not affect his use of money, that man's religion is vain. Um, it's, it's not an uncommon question, have I got what it takes? Uh, have I got what it takes as we reflect on all of the challenges that, that we face in life? Those of us who have children, we're raising them, hopefully, uh, to be a little bit like Libby, to, to have what it takes to live a healthy, independent lives. That they rely less, on, less and less on, on us as, as parents as they grow and mature. Uh, as much as Jen and I love dressing Fred, you know, each morning, we would be neglectful parents if we weren't training him to do it, our, do it himself. We want our children to, to grow in their skills and their confidence, to, to grow in maturity. We want them to say, I've got this, as they cook a meal as they leave home or whatever else. But when it comes to life eternal, right relationship with God, sins forgiven, adopted as God's children, do you see that it is completely the opposite? I reckon this is why Matthew, our writer, puts the little children passage just before the rich man. You know, the people, they're bringing the, the little children to Jesus and the disciples are you know, shooing them away. Get, get away, you know. And Jesus rebukes them and he says in verse 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Yeah, the, the little ones, it's not a new theme in Matthew's gospel, but the little ones, are, they're weak and needy. They need a parent to dress them and tell them that their application of the road safety video is wrong. 
They rely on their parent, unlike the successful, capable, empowered, rich. The little ones are weak and needy. And we must recognise that is all of us before Almighty God. We fall short of his standard. We cannot tick his boxes. We sang that song, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. We train our kids to be independent. But knowing Jesus and growing to maturity in Jesus, it's an ever-growing dependence on him. The rich bloke who wouldn't leave his wealth, he missed out. But you see verse 27, this is the miracle that's in action really throughout the narrative. The rich man wouldn't leave his wealth. But Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus, he he points, doesn't he, to the upside down nature of, of the kingdom, to leave everything to follow Jesus to wholly depend on him, it's to receive eternal life. But our focus is not just on this little bit now, in this life, but on all of that which is to come. So this afternoon, I'd just love you to reflect this way. Are you growing in your dependence on Christ? Are you growing in your dependency on Jesus like a little child depends on a parent? If you're not, why not? He's entirely sufficient for you. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that as he journeyed to Jerusalem to suffer and die on the cross in our place, that he taught with authority, that he worked miracles, and that as people came to him, he showed them that God's kingdom is not like the kingdom of the world. Lord God, we pray that you would forgive us for not having a wholehearted dependency on you. Forgive us for at times trying to make it ourselves, for trying to tick the box. And Lord, as we look at our our wealthy, our wealthy country. We pray that we and those around us would see that money can't buy what we need and that we all might come to Jesus. We pray this in in his great name. Amen. Um, We're going to sing.